handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast, a bonus episode. Why a bonus episode? Because I'm here. I'm with Cookie. I'm bored. I just finished a uh, 30-hour whirlwind amount of legal work. Really, if you ever think, jail, can it get worse? The answer is always yes, if you're asking me that question. You know, I just, I don't know that I, I think that was... That might have been the, the most legal work I've done in a 36-hour period in my entire legal career because the deadline for something, so we had to, uh, and very, very menial, like getting a headache from how much I had to stare at spreadsheets and, and whatnot, very mundane, annoying, detail-oriented work. And I said, okay, I just crushed it. I did so well. I was able to pick up some slack of one of my team members. So how about, I mean, look at me. Uh, just, well, you got it, but you have to do it, right? When you, as you, as you, the, the, the more I see comedy being awful, the more I'm like, mm, probably a good long-term strategy to keep working hard at the job that consistently sends me a paycheck and health benefits. So <clears throat> I said, let me, I'm at a show in Brooklyn tonight. Um, I'm sure um, thousands of my fans will show up to Pete's Candy Store in, uh, I think it's in Williamsburg, but whatever. Um, a bunch of new, well, a bunch of new shows. That's a lie. A few new shows, though. Ticket links are up for everything now on my website. But I am in Long Island at McGuire's Comedy Club on Saturday. Um, uh, called in headliner relief pitcher, uh, which is hey, I'll, I will take it. It's a nice one night payday, a chance. Uh, you know, a month before the special 2.0 to, to get a full-length set. So absolutely, I say that with, with, with no cynicism or sarcasm. So uh, I'm at McGuire's on Saturday at 7 p.m. 
Um, boom, 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 boom. Uh, Buffalo, obviously, I've been touting that, and I don't think uh, I'm pretty sure ticket sales will be horrific. But uh, Buffalo Helium, April 26th, two days after my birthday. How about that? And uh, April 29th, I'm in Washington, D.C., April 30th, Culpeper, Virginia. Uh, May 14th, the granddaddy of them all, as Keith Jackson used to say, of the Rose Bowl. And then Boston, July 15th, two shows at City Winery in Boston. So um, I emailed several clubs uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, zero of them got back to me. So I think, you know, Ann Arbor, um, Ann Arbor and Magoobies are the two clubs that are if, if it's possible for comedy clubs to hurt my feelings, uh, those would be the two that are actually hurting my feelings. Like, like making, like you, 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 it's, I think I've lamented, it's just, I've been performing at Magoobie since I think 2010, um, as a feature. They, they offered me a headlining gig in September of 2020. Um, and trust me, I am not some uh, diva. I think we can we have established that. But without a vaccine, to give up two vacation days and travel for the amount of money that was being offered. Now, I get it. that There were limited seating, limited shows. I get it. These were like keep the business afloat gigs. But when it comes to my health, like I'm not acting like I don't have a price. But... The price is not to effectively break even. Like no vaccine, two vacation days, which have a value, and I, I have a decent job, and pay for my own travel for the amount of money. Like if, if it wasn't a break even, it would be like, you know, do you, do you want to possibly catch COVID for $100? Um, so I'm not out here acting holier than thou. Like I wanted to get some headlining gigs under my belt and was willing to do it for a certain price, but the price that was offered was I just couldn't do it. But I, I figured it would be understandable, you know. I wasn't try this wasn't a matter of big timing. This was a matter of how much do I value uh like what's my price to travel during this time? And that wasn't my price. You asked me to do the same gig right now for the same money, I'd take I'd actually take it. But not when you factor in pre-vaccine, et cetera. Um, but I haven't had an email replied to in the 20 months since I sent, since I sent that. Now, it's a place I've been performing at since 2010, before they were even at their current location. It could be paranoia on my part, but it's like nothing in this business you know, sort of shocks me when it comes to just severing of personal and professional relationships. So, um, and like I said, not a reply. I'm not saying I've gotten offered shitty nights or told nothing right now. Just zero replies in, in 20 months. And then Ann Arbor is the other one, which is like they actually have already headlined me. I'm a bigger name than a majority of the people they book. That's not me saying I'm an A-lister. That's me saying that's a club. That's like a, a few A-listers do it and a lot of like up-and-coming people do it. Um, so they booked me. I crushed it in 2019. The pandemic obviously hit. Um, you know, donated a, a nice chunk of change to their fundraiser when they were afraid they were going to close. And I've explained this repeatedly on the show. That wasn't, I didn't do that out of quid pro quo because I didn't even think I needed a quid pro quo because I was like, oh, I already, I already work this club. I crushed it when I was there and now I'm really going to crush it. I'm actually going to, you know, I sold a few tickets to various fans, mainly thanks to, uh, um, Pete Dominic, but 
I figured, oh, well, they, I don't have to. I'm doing this because I want to, not because I think it's going to benefit me because I already work the club. And now I have a bigger following and should sell way more tickets in the greater Detroit area, the Detroit Ann Arbor area. Um, and that's another place where I haven't gotten a reply, except when I called the club and left a message and then said something on Twitter and got a, a reply to that. Like, oh, we, we, we look forward to it. Like, but I, they're still booking, you know, and it was like, oh, we can't get to it. He, they had an excuse, but I was like, but somebody's booking the room. These comics aren't just showing up out of thin air. Like, if he's not booking it, someone's booking it. So it should be pretty easily inferred that I want to work the club, that I'd like to get the booker booking me. Um, and those are the two, like everybody else is, has always been sort of a variation of, of scummy and shitty in this business. But those two, those two, those, those actually sort of, I take personally. And I don't say that in like a, I will seek my vengeance kind of way. I say, I take it personally, like, like sadly, because it's like, so, so is this, the fact that I'm, that I would trust or want to trust or engage with anybody in this business at this point, like 20 years of practically in this game. And this is how people become jaded cunts. You know what I mean? Like, like if I were to blow up this year <laughs> and then five years from now, like young comics work with me and see how I operate. And they're like, yeah, that guy JL was like a real, he was like so cold to the, to the people at the club. And so, and he didn't want to meet anybody after the show and he didn't. And I'm like, some people are dicks and come into this business dicks, but, um, if you have to eat shit for two decades and every time you think even a modicum of respectability or professionalism or personal uh, connection is made, it always turns out to be dog shit or, or easily thrown away. How do you not become sort of jaded and whatnot? So there's some comedy talk right off the top on the bonus. But what I was going to do is um, for this episode, uh, this and this is the this is this is going to be the kind of solo episode that will end up being part of JL Max Plus Prime. Which obviously is is just a scary venture for me because I, I don't know if I'm going to have 43 signups or, or 600 signups. Um, probably v safe to bet on the under. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited about what we're doing. I still have to cast two of the four roles for my Exorcist sketch, which is sort of stressing me out. Um, and if I can't film it, this month, uh, it's going to get filmed, but it's, I really want it. I mean, I've been sitting on it for a while and I really, really, I'm excited to make it. Um, and to get, you know, to finally get back to doing sketches that aren't me in my room with a cell phone or, or me yelling at the righteous girlfriend to fix the lighting on some solo video or some multi-character bullshit that I've been doing for the last two years out of necessity. But, um, yeah, so the two book reviews are done and... Uh, this weekend, I'll be emailing people. Nobody got back to me. None of my listeners, I guess, have any artistic talent or any desire to help um, in terms of a new logo for the J.L. Covan show. Um, so I guess I'll just commission that because you can count on strangers in, in this industry. <laughs> you just can't count on friends or colleagues, uh, but you can count on strangers. Um, so book reviews, figuring out. And bonus stuff for the podcast, uh, sneak peek at uh, Joel Osteen, and what's the other thing? I was, oh, oh yeah, Mike Pence Gaming. All three games have now arrived for the first three installments. I, and just let's be clear, I don't think Mike Pence Gaming is going to necessarily be a 
uh, 15-part series. I, I have three games that I bought uh, for the first three, so like a, a April, May, June, Mike Pence Gaming, and it'll be uh, MLB The Show 22, so he will create his own player um, on MLB Show, and that will be the first episode, and then I have God of War. <laughs> um, and for gamers, I, that will make you laugh, I think, and then He's a very muscular, violent man. So Pence obviously will be purchasing the game as a uh, thinking it's, you know, a Christian warrior. And then Mortal Kombat. Uh, so those will be the games that Mike Pence plays. And I think it'll be fun. It, like I said, four bucks. That's going to, I think I'm going to introduce it. Just you get everything for four bucks. And then by May or June, when I start introducing like a monthly live show, I may do like one monthly live show. And a monthly kind of Q&A chat modeled after my friend Pete Dominic's weekly uh, chat with his subscribers. But um, his subscribers uh, like him and, and stuff. So I don't know if I'll have the same luck. But um, so I may either just do one live event each month. Maybe uh, Donald Trump does stand up or JL does stand up or live stream a JL show or Q&A with JL, and I don't want to get your hopes up that you're going to be, but that would be the only stuff that I might introduce like a, a $7 tier, you know, to get access to that. But I'm going to, I'm going to test out and see how four bucks does because it's not very expensive for, you know, like I joked before, I said I might be the first person to lose money on a Patreon. So I hope you don't think I'm price gouging you when I start, when my Patreon starts costing me money. Um... But I was going to talk about the Grammys, I guess, maybe, and um, which I enjoyed, surprisingly. I don't know. I, I just didn't expect to like them, but I like what they've done with it. And then uh, Gerard Carmichael's new special, Rathaniel. Um, so Grammys-wise, I know Louis C.K. won the Grammy for, for, uh, for his, I don't, know what, like, I don't know what he won it for, but he won. Um, and I think a lot of people are upset about that. And some comics are saying, you know, male comics need to step up and say something. And I'm like, uh, I'm certainly not afraid to take a shit on Louis C.K. Um, you know, I uh, think the comedy world is, is a cesspool for the most part. But it's sort of like, part of me wants to be like, oh, well, he, I mean... He's not Bill Cosby, but he's obviously not uh, sort of an innocent party, clearly. But sometimes I just wonder, I'm like, what would, like, I don't mean to make the claim of virtue signaling, but I'm like, if, if I were to tweet right now, Louis C.K. is a scumbag, uh, okay. Like, I, I, I genuinely don't know what I would be, what I would be doing, um, but... I understand people being pissed off at him. I, I've never viewed him as uh, the best in the biz or as some sort of deity. Um, but as a, a joke I'm working on right now, and I know Louis C.K. is, I guess, part Mexican, but one of the jokes I'm uh, working on is called uh, The Failure of White Fathers. And it's sort of a joke stemming from my joke about Trump being the stripper pole for broken white men. But if you look at this country, for every, for every complaint that there ever was, like the black father, it's the same thing. Well, that was a little Ron Reagan-y. Uh, the, bla the black father, not afraid of being a black dad. No, the, um, 
it's similar to, to obviously with drugs when it was crack and it was in black communities it was a scourge it was um, needed to be penalized to the harshest extent possible and then when heroin when opiate opioids started destroying white communities it it very quickly turned into uh, you know sickness disease uh, systemic problems in our country and that's what seemed to happen with Trump that Trump it was like too harsh a truth to say yeah some people were struggling but as I've always said you don't buy Trump's shit unless you kind of want to buy Trump's shit nobody's what no, not many people walk around harboring no racial resentments no 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 prejudices and uh, and all of a sudden go, you know, I was a great person, but I really do think the right guy for the job is this fucking monster. Um, this is not an ironclad rule. Of course, there are exceptions, and I'm sure there are many exceptions in the country. But the when I look at somebody like Trump, like sort of a a cartoon mascot of masculinity and success, like like only the simplest of people and the most needy people could look at him as strong and successful. And, and I say, uh, when I look at that, and then I look at the proliferation, especially on TikTok, there's a tremendous, and I think, I guess I, I, I liked one fitness account, so now my algorithm has expanded from stand-up comedy clips, big-breasted women, and fitness bro life coaches who would probably be very sad to be called life coaches but that's basically i've always thought the idea of a life coach was fucking hilarious and and pathetic but like basically now millions of people are trying to be influencers which is basically like a pithy life coach and there's a, a proliferation of like bro bro men i don't like I, that's how i <laughs> bro men like rogan is obviously the high priest but it's the it's like if you can lift and you like mma and like you, you, you look decent with your shirt off all of a sudden now i want to know about your entire life philosophy not just what good exercise i can do to get my triceps better but also how do you do it bro how do you tackle life how do you get life by the horns and say fuck you bitch and it's like if you just make simple platitudes like don't ever give up, don't let anybody tell you what, you're, what to do. Like this is, this is if I have a sketch show ever, this is like a character I would do, like an amalgamation of like all these types where it's like you kind of offer, you know, like I've read, a, I've read a book, I've read an article, but I have the confidence of somebody with a degree in the subject matter. And if you throw, you got to sprinkle in some curses to, to show that you're real. And, and, and probably too many curses, but don't worry because your target audience is stupid as shit and just thirsting for like a strong, uh, like, a, like, a, like an, easily, an easily digestible version of a strong guy, of like a man's man. So like between Trump being like, oh God, we need a strong patriot who loves this country and is tough like Trump. Trump's, Trump's a fat pussy, Okay. And your father failed you. If you look at Trump, man or woman, if you look at Trump as a strong man, your father should be brought up on at least misdemeanor charges for, for, for parental neglect. 
And then if your source of like knowledge and self-help, and of course you're the type of person who would hate self-help and life coaches because those people are fucking grifting pussies. But when it comes to uh, Tommy, Tommy Monster with his shirt off yelling at you, don't let any motherfuckers to get in your way. You do what you have to fucking do. That's how I became worth $10 million and have this fucking sports car, bro, and my fitness drink empire because I didn't let them. They, when, I was, when I was 19, they told me I was a piece of shit, and I said, you don't get it, bro, and I never stopped. I never fucking stopped, and maybe 10 years from now, I'll be accused of various embezzlement and other financial crimes, but for right now, bro, this is it. This is fucking it. You've got to just go for it. You've got to grab life by the fucking throat and say, fuck you, I'm taking over. And if you thirst for that, like this is, this is why, this is why America is, I, I can say, better than like the Middle East in some ways, because obviously what these guys are doing is just packaging the same thing that makes like ISIS or Al Qaeda sexy to like an unemployed militant Muslim teen Obviously, there's way worse things, you know, than being an influencer bro on, 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 and liking that. But it's sort of the same psychology for young men. Now, but we, we, we have just the same way other cultures could, could and, and yes, I'm not comparing. Well, Trump is kind of a terrorist, to be honest. Um, but I'm obviously not equating the two, but there's a similar kind of psychology, it seems, at work. Um, and I just think. Obviously, dads, and it seems in particular white dads, are, are just not doing a good job and they want to blame liberals. You know, you, oh, the left, they're going to pussify America. They're going to make it. I don't know. Was your dad a lefty or was he just a, a faux tough guy who didn't do well enough or your mom left him and it made you feel weak? Or I don't know. I don't know what the case is, but it's like this. I don't know what. How did AOC make you want to fucking worship Tony Robbins and Joe Rogan and Donald Trump? Like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know how that. I think it started in the home. And so um, this is obviously not how the joke will go, but I'm, wor- I'm, I'm, I'm fleshing out some material about the failure of white fathers um, because, uh, you know, even if you, if you take each side as truth, What's the worst case scenario of what happened because of black fathers failing the community? If you take that argument as as truth, um, some poor people died. Some some people got some people committed crimes. Some people got very long sentences in jail. And the American empire just continued to move along like nothing had really happened. It shocked the conscience on some news reports, but basically, for most of society, it was just fear. And the crime and violence and sadness was relegated to just certain communities that didn't touch uh, the powers that be. Now, let's look at what the Trump, the Trump, my white father is a pussy movement uh, yielded. Uh, An insurrection, um, emboldening uh, people like Putin. (laughs) Um, so, So if you look at it, it seems that although we're more scared of the gangbanger selling crack, it seems like when white fathers fail, the results are globally catastrophic. Interesting. Huh. 
Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you just heard me work out the non-funny version of a potentially good bit. Um, but, yeah, you see where I'm going with that, I think. Some truth, some humor, some, uh, some Trump bashing. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think. I don't, I, I, there is some sort of insecurity um, f- filling the homes of, of young white men in America that is making them uh, fl- flock to surrogate, simple surrogate daddies like bro podcasters and fitness influencers and fat rapey grifters like, like Donald Trump. Um, and in comedy, I guess they gravitate towards, uh, you know, the Chappelle's and the Louis C.K.'s of the world who, who take what they want. They're unapologetic no matter who they insult, even if it's not funny. The, the main thing is that they are being men. Very traditional, I don't apologize, fuck your feelings, men. And, uh, you know, if that's what you need out of life, oh boy, you are, uh, you might be somewhat insecure. And I'm not, I'm certainly not somebody who's getting on this mic and, and always claiming, you know, uh, that the left is right when it comes to humor or speech. I am not. You may think that from just this one episode, but obviously if you've been listening for a while, you know that I have my own personal and societal griefs with, uh, you know, so-called cancel culture, etc. But, uh, yeah. You think Matt Gates had a good dad? <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think that's a good point, right? When, when if you take each side's argument as truth, when, when black dads abandon the community, it ravaged the community. But when white dads raised a bunch of insecure slash hateful sons it almost destroyed democracy and uh and emboldened war criminals abroad so you tell me which is worse so but on to the grammys uh enjoyed the grammys um i feel like i'm becoming a weird middle-aged man i I, it's almost like a this could be a movie script where i'm like billy eilish is is i think uh, just tremendous um, I call her brother Phineas the Larry David of music because I'm like, he's the dude who's just kind of doing his own side project now. But, um, you know, she's talented. And I don't mean that she's really talented, great voice. I, lo- I love like I love her songs and, 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 and whatnot. But there is this vibe and this could be this could be sexism or the truth or both. But. He seems to, you know, I remember watching the documentary on Apple and like he, he seems to like, you know, he, she's the talent. He might be the genius or they could both be geniuses. But um, I thought their performance was great. And then I like, I bought the Billie Eilish album finally. I have the first one, but I bought the, the one that was nominated for the Grammys. And that song, what is it, Happier Than Ever, which I remember I saw it on, when she performed it on SNL. And I was like, that was fucking great because it's like two minutes of really slow and then it rocks for like the last two and a half minutes. And then I was listening to the lyrics and I was like, wow, this, goth, this busty goth homeschooled 20-year-old, uh, she really gets stand-up comedy, even though this, uh, this song is about a breakup with her like first love. Uh, this is how comedy sounds to me. Um, and then I was like... And then I thought, this is where I could write it into a funny script. It's like middle-aged guy who still thinks he's young. He's like, Billy, Billy, we have so much in common. It's like, get away from me, old man. No, no, I get you. I get you. And I think you'd get me. Security. (laughs) But uh, I thought the Grammys were great. 
Um, I think what they've done with it now in terms of just like, yeah, we're going to give out like 10 awards and basically do a greatest hits concert of the last year is, is actually good. And whoever fucking does that, the physical work of the Grammys, very impressive because it's literally like every performer, it's like has a concert set for one song. And then it's like, okay, now we have to flip this set for another extravagant concert set. Um, what was her name? Is it Casey? Carlisle? Brandy Carlisle? Who just, brand? Uh, I keep wanting to say Belinda Carlisle, showing my age. But uh, very good voice, you know. Uh, everybody was really good. Chris Stapleton, I've uh, been a fan since I saw him on SNL several years ago. Um, but uh, I thought this song was good that he did, but I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, Midnight Train to Memphis and uh, a couple of the other ones that really rock on his sort of big breakout albums um who else john batiste who sometimes annoys me because i find most new orleans enthusiasts really annoying but i really liked his performance and i was like oh cool so his album is like must be like a mix of stuff not just like uh pretend like like new new funky jazz that everybody pretends to like because his song was really good and his 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 acceptance speech for one of the big awards was was also really nice um but everybody it was everything was was really strong i thought except uh little nas x now i know i know he's a gay man of color a g-mock and you know that's that's a it's a it's a beautiful thing living in his truth but uh, you're on the Grammys, sir. Why are you lip syncing? Okay, now obviously I have a sordid history with, with the so-called art of lip syncing. But this is literally the show about music and musical talent. And you rap. You do some singing, but you also rap. And I've, this isn't the first time I've seen him do a concert, a, a, perf- a live performance where he's lip syncing. I don't get it. And I mean that. I know it's, oh, J.O., why are you hating? Maybe nobody thinks that. But I'm just like, isn't this the one venue where I'd be like, why are you lip syncing? Like, shouldn't you be singing? It's the Grammys. Everybody else is singing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was real good. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I was, I didn't expect to, to enjoy the Grammys so much. But uh, because I don't follow tons of music, but it actually acted as almost like a check-in. So good for you, Grammys. Shame on you for Louis C.K. winning. Um, I have no idea if it's a good special or not, but obviously the lines are being drawn in comedy. And man, oh man, do I wish I had a special already out that would really articulate a a sort of strong and hilarious middle ground on cancel culture things. I just wish I had thought of recording a special seven months ago that would have been out in February that could have really been a, a, a flashpoint in the culture wars. Oh, well, I wish I'd had that idea. Um, but then let's talk about specials, comedy specials, because I watched Gerard Carmichael's Rothaniel, which sounds like it was, you know, named by a, an algorithm at A24 Film Studios. And it's directed by Bo Burnham who you will never hear a bad word said about on this podcast. Absolutely not. Uh, Watched Inside for the seventh time last week, by the way. But, and he directed it uh, with his very stylish, artistic flair. But uh, 
I don't know, guys. I just feel like um, I picked the wrong decade to be a comedian or the wrong century because it feels like there is this, and this is one of the things that I spoke to through personal experience on uh, Half Blackface, my issues with both uh, the left and, and the right and the bro the bros bitching about cancel culture and the left wanting to applaud every struggle and every individual and every uh, proper point instead of laughing. But, and, and I think it was, maybe it was Vox who posted something today about, you know, the dichotomy of Louis C.K. winning with sort of an aggressive, uh, no holds barred, uh, I'm done apologizing sort of attitude uh, to his special versus the profound vulnerability um, of Gerard Carmichael's special. And, you know, each side will claim that the other camp in comedy is really not about laughs, but about either triggering or about being woke or supporting the right thing or be and I, it, it I I want to believe in the power of just a strong special but I think I'd be better off if I had a strong agenda to my special other than funny um so I can't speak on CKs but I do know that there's uh you know there's a lot of there's a lot of the a lot of dudes plateauing, and trust me, I would have probably been a happier person if my career had hit a peak ten years ago and I plateaued. But I plateaued at like touring and 400k a year. I'd probably be overall happier, but I I don't think I would be as good an artist if I can use that word. But there's there's a lot of entrenched, and you don't have to be 60 to be an entrenched old white guy. You just need enough time in the business before you start sort of seeing it as your territory and your way is the right way to do jokes. Even if you're sort of still, you're delivering kind of, you've been delivering B plus material for the last five or six years because you've grown comfy and accustomed to the sort of perch you've, you've, you've earned in many cases you've earned, but, and I see it with a lot of, uh, a lot of comedians around my age, give or take a few years who I just feel like, yeah, you hit an A minus at, at 30 and you're 38 and you're still hitting B pluses and A minuses, but there's, there's no growth. There's no, okay, but whatever those, those people tend to gravitate towards the old guard and, um, you know, if you offend people for the sake of offending them, that's better than giving in to the woke or the left or whatever. But on the flip side is the sort of space that comedy has become for profound, unfunny stuff. Um, now I owe Hannah Gadsby a, a little bit of, a little bit of a prop, maybe even two props. I might even give her the plural props, um, because she caught a lot of heat from me and others, where it was like this is just like a spoken word thing. This isn't that funny. It's like witty and then tragic, and but it won it won all the awards and it, it set. I think it set the tone. Now what I found funny is all the heat that I got for criticizing Dave Chappelle's pontificating in the, you know, what I've dubbed serious comedy. Um, a lot of those Hannah Gadsby haters 
did not like that I was basically just saying, well, yeah, I think Chappelle's hilarious, but but his new his new uh, podcast for two hundred dollars a night shows um, really aren't great stand up because they're not funny. And um, you know, Henry Rollins uh, never had the audacity to call himself a stand up comedian. Um, you know, comedians who can't they they do one person shows. At least, at least they bow out, if not gracefully, they acknowledge that they're doing something different. Um, but with Chappelle fans, it was like, no, nope. I had a friend at work who, who when I was talking about it, they were saying they liked it. And I, I know he's one of the, he was one of the guys who kind of enjoys the, 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 if not the jokes, the trans sentiments behind uh, what Chappelle's saying. And he had said to me that, uh, you know, he thought that Chappelle had earned the right to do that. And uh, my philosophy is, earn the right to do what? Not comedy? Like, sure. But don't tell me it's a great comedy special when it's like the least funny shit he's ever done. Um, and, but, but there was like, you know, at least be consistent. But of course, that's, that's the hypocrisy is right there. If you think what Hannah Gadsby and Dave Chappelle are both doing is not great for stand-up or not funny at least, congratulations, you're being consistent. And if you see a difference, you're not. It's very simple. Um, and then we get to maybe the, the high, you know, the, 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 the newest level of this sort of profound, serious comedy, which is Rathaniel by Gerard Carmichael, who I've, you know, I've spoken before on. I just don't get it. Um, now, people have told me they've worked with him and he's, he's hilarious. People have told me they really liked his show. That's great. Um, I'd love to be in a position in my career where my specials that introduce me to millions of people could be not as funny as my regular stand-up club show. Seems kind of weird to me, though, that you would save all your non-funny stuff for your three HBO specials. That strikes me as odd. But I guess I'm being a hater because what he did was he, he and, and, and I just don't, I, when I read these reviews, like I, I laughed at a couple of things, but I, my first laugh was nine minutes into his 55-minute special. Nine minutes. And that's not me trying to be stingy because I did laugh. So it's not me going like, I guess that's funny. No, I'm talking I actually laughed. I laughed a few times at a few bits. Um, but milking silence and rubbing your forehead and kind of delivering a, a dramatic monologue on coming out is all well and good, but clearly this is going to be a show that HBO and, and their publicists probably put forward for like Emmy and Grammy consideration, and maybe they'll get nominated, and maybe with the backlash of Louie, Maybe that will pave the way for, a, for, a, for wins for Gerard Carmichael. And I just go, but is it funny? Like, I'm not saying is he funny. Maybe he's hilarious. But I've now seen three specials that seemed heavy on the profound and performative gravitas and, and low on laughs and punchlines. And I'm not, it wasn't, clearly a lot of the intention was not for laughs. So I'm not saying he's like unfunny, like he can't be funny. But at what point 
can you just be like, well, I'm just going to do the only kind of special we have are people don't really want to go see like a spoke, spoken word feels like very coffee shop indie and sort of lame. But stand up comedy still is cool cachet. So I'm just going to occupy the stand up space. It's like the opposite. It's like the same result, but the opposite approach as a like a TikTok influencer. It's like, hey, we don't know what to do with you, but you know, people love your 45 second videos. They're pretty well produced. Why don't we just hijack 40 stand up clubs and people will come see you? And if you're good, congratulations. If you're not, we'll still make uh, $800,000 this year. And from the flip side, it's like, we know you're funny, but you don't have a real space to work on your serious monologues. Um, you know, the days of Spalding Gray or whoever the fuck used to do those things uh, is, 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 is done. So um, I know what we could do, though. We could just call them stand-up specials, and you could do those and make a lot of money. And if we spin it the right way and the media is enticed enough to write what we want them to write, they, they'll actually mention in their articles that what you're doing is profound, though not necessarily stand-up comedy. It's something deep. Like, they will, they will be apologists for you. They will, they will denigrate stand-up comedy as insufficient for your talents and genius, all while we nominate you for a stand-up special, a stand-up comedy special. Interesting. So, uh, needless to say, I was, you know, it's like a nice looking talk and it had a few jokes and a lot of non-jokes and you know people used to save that for interviews or for memoirs but now we just take up stage time and do this and uh i don't know i don't know why i'm in this business is i guess what i want to say because um i'm just chugging along as angrily as I do, and as depressingly as I do, I'm just chugging along in the, oh boy, am I sitting on a fucking fire and a half of an hour. Um, you know, if only I had recorded it in October, uh, who knows where I'd be now. It would have been almost, it's almost like the timing would have been beyond perfect if it had, if I had chosen to do it in October and released it in February. But, um, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes you just, you, you, you don't, you don't act when you should. So, um, but it feels like without an agenda, is there like, you know, and I'm sure when I meet with a publicist, when it's ready, fingers crossed, um, they'll want to spin a narrative. Um, and I just hope I, I hope it's not, I hope it's a narrative. I can like hold my head up high and say, that's a good narrative. I, def I, I stand by that narrative. Um, but who knows? Maybe, maybe no publicist will work with me either. And this special 92 of you will buy it and say, JL, that was amazing. I'm telling you, you're going to be famous off of this. And, and, then, I, and then I won't be famous because we know it's not happening. So, um, okay, no work emails. I got to get, uh, get in the shower, eat a salad, and then head out to Brooklyn, which is a nice, tidy... Yeah, like hour and 15 minute commute each way for me. So, but got to get ready for that special. Got to get, you know, um, but I guess that's it, guys. I just, I figured I'd share my thoughts on the Grammys and, and on Rathaniel. If you didn't like this, so be it. Hey, guess what? It was free. Um, 
But I thought I'd have more energy for this, but I found myself getting really tired because I was up. To, I was working till one a.m. last night, um, uh, which is you know what that's what you do when you're a stand-up comic. You work for a law firm until one in the morning. That's that's the part they don't tell you about in the whole all the fancy memoirs and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I hope you can make it to a show. Uh, anybody here listen? Uh, if you're in Long Island and you listen to the this podcast, I hope to see you at McGuire's. But um, yeah, a lot of shows coming up. My birthday's coming up, and uh, I guess that's it. So I'm looking forward to the launch of JL Max Plus Prime on April 28th, and that's it. I'm falling asleep, guys. So thank you for the. Li- I don't know if you listened, if you enjoyed this, if you just wanted to hear my thoughts on certain things. But, uh, yeah, I felt moved to do a bonus, and uh, now I regret that decision. So thank you for listening, and uh, I will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.